Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hi, everybody. I'd like to thank you for joining us today at A Whole Foundation Presents. Um, Today, I'm pretty excited. We're going to do some disaster preparedness, five things that you need to know. And we just want you to know to go ahead and keep yourself muted if you've joined us via Zoom. Um, Andrea will take some questions later and we'll let Michael uh, let you know how to do that and deal with the hand raising and stuff at the time. I will just let you know that Whole Foundation and Learning Center is celebrating their 60th year um, this year. And so that's pretty exciting and have some things going on. We have a raffle going on currently and we all also send out post-session notes. And if you're not on our email list at the end, I will give contact information so you can do that. So go ahead and get your writing implements ready, however those are. And at the campus, which is just outside of Portland, Oregon in Sandy, they are having some in-person events. And so that's a great place to go and do some fun stuff. So, um, and they do have offer transportation to and from the airport and train and bus stations. So you get close, you can uh, get there. So right now I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Andrea Barnhurst. Yeah. So thank you for having me again. Um, I was here a couple months ago um, with a colleague of mine and we talked about disaster preparedness from the visually impaired perspective. Um, and I was, I reached out again, um, and decided, um, by talking with some people that I would start kind of a series. Uh, there's going to be multiple days that I do different topics, um, in the next months coming up. Um, so because of that, I thought I would just touch back on a little bit of what we did talk about in the last one we did in case nobody was there. And, um, I decided to kind of break out it into smaller sections so that I could explain and, you know, give examples more than we could in the other one. And that way there's more time for questions and um, being able to reach more people just with smaller subject lines. Um, so to just start it off, I did recently find out, and I guess, I don't know, it's just the way I look at disaster preparedness from my perspective is I have kind of a different outlook um, on disaster preparedness um, coming from a person who was not raised in disaster preparedness at all. Um, I come in with a perspective and, you know, an outlook of that disaster preparedness is not one size fits all. Um, It doesn't fit into the same box as everybody else. And it does not have to be expensive. Um, I've been talking with a lot of people about disaster preparedness. And um, I find that for a person who doesn't have a disability or doesn't have an income, you know, um, a lower income level, they kind of go into it with like, have to do everything a certain way. And um, this kind of goes to why I decided to start talking um, about disaster preparedness from a visually impaired person's perspective and why I decided to do this. Um, so I come at this again 
from a person who was not raised this way. Um, disaster preparedness was not something we talked about in my home as I grew up. Um, even after becoming an adult, getting married to a person who was raised in disaster preparedness, I felt this was out of reach. Um, even as a fully sighted person, we were low income, barely living paycheck to paycheck. And that little bit of money we had left, we would put towards doing something for my daughter that was special that month. Um, and, you know, then I became visually impaired and it felt even more out of reach. Um, and it wasn't until more recently when I attended a day long class seminar. Um, it was a day of learning for my job and we have, have breakout sessions. I believe there were four breakout sessions throughout the entire day. And they had three different subjects for each breakout session. And, um, in one of those breakout sessions, I'm looking at the three options and none of them were something I was interested in listening to. Um, so I did something I probably should not have done, but it led me here. Um, I picked the one that did not sound as bad as the other ones. Um, and that ended up being disaster preparedness. Um, and I went into this with an open mind and I listened to the stories. I listened to all of this information that they were handing out and kind of just, I got overwhelmed, but I didn't zone out. Um, they kept throwing out like phrases, like put it in your car and buy this and buy this, and you must have this and you must have that. And, uh, these were phrases in my past that I would have completely zoned out through because I don't have a car. I do. I'm fortunate that been is sighted and dry, but I don't have a car. I can always put things in. Um, and I know many people like me are like that. Um, and, you know, I don't have all of this money to go and put towards all of this expensive items that they were talking about. Um, instead of just zoning out and just like dropping the ball, I reached out to the people who were putting it on. And um, I said, you know, your presentation was great. I learned a lot of information, but... Um, this does not work for a visually impaired person. Um, and we started up a conversation um, between me and a couple other people and where they said they had resources for the visually impaired and how to do certain things from that perspective. Um, it has been about a year and a half and I've yet to see those documents. So <laughs> that is why I kind of started talking more from a perspective of a visually impaired person who has been on a fixed income and who was not raised this way. Um, because I think things can get very overwhelming and you feel that they're out of reach. And so I am trying to come into this from a perspective that it is within reach. It does not have to be expensive if it costs anything at all. And it doesn't, it's not one size fits all because I don't know about you, but I'm not sure how many people um, could carry three days worth of water on their back in a go bag with everything else that they need, holding a white cane and a guide dog and walk. Um, it, it's not something I don't think I could even do. So I have been, like I said, coming at this from a visually impaired person and what is realistic for us. 
And so um, today I plan to present what I kind of call my top five things um, that you can do to be more prepared that does not cost a lot or even any kind of money. Um, I think if these five things can be done, you will feel a lot better about where you're at with disaster preparedness. Um, like I said, I'm going to continue on some other subjects like go bags and food storage in later um, talks. This we're just going to talk about the five things that I feel are probably the most important things and that we can do individually with minimal help if you don't have the assistance that some of us don't. Um, so starting off, I think the first thing is to have a plan and practice that plan and know the plan. Um, this could be knowing where your local fire station is. This could be um, knowing how you evacuate your home. If you happen to live in a place where maybe you have to go down fire escapes or take a different route, or you have multiple exits out of your home, um, this could be where are you going to meet up with your family members um, if you are separated and have to evacuate your home um, or your area. How to get to like resource centers. Um, many cities and counties have what they call resource centers, which is where you would go to find out information on who is providing food in this emergency who is providing medical care, where can you get the resources that you need. A lot of times these are churches or community centers and you can call up your local county. Um, a lot of them have like an emergency management team that you can call up and get that information. Um, so knowing your plan, practicing your plan and just being able to be comfortable in knowing um, where you're going and what you're going to do. Um, this came from, um, you know, one thing I wanted to show as an example was a number of months ago, there was a chance that my husband and I and my guide dog were going to have to evacuate our home. But knowing that if we had to evacuate, I knew one, where we were going to go. I knew two, who we were going to contact if we had to evacuate our home. And knowing what we were going to grab. Now, it, we had like two situations. One, if we didn't have very much time and all we had enough time was to grab one thing and get out of the house, I knew exactly what my husband was going to grab and what I was going to grab. Now, if we had more time, I also had another group. If we had, you know, 10 or so minutes, he was going to grab this. I was going to grab this then, you know, then we'd grab these things and evacuate our home. Have a plan gave me so much comfort because I knew exactly what we were going to do. Yeah. I didn't want to evacuate my house, but knowing how we were going to do it and that I didn't have to worry about, well, where are we going to go? And what am I going to grab? And where is it located? That helped so much in just putting a very you know, sit stressful situation into a calmer point of view. We thankfully did not have to evacuate our home, but we were ready in case we did. Um, so just having a plan, it could be simple. Don't think it has to be complicated. Um, and just, you know, knowing how to do it is gonna, you know, cause a lot less stress. Um, 
Number two would be to have documents like your renter's insurance, homeowner's insurance, medical insurance, um, any important documents that you're going to have to have either on a jump drive, on the cloud, or in paper copy, or all of them. Um, Because if you have to evacuate your home and you can't grab your computer or you can't go through your file cabinet to find your homeowner's insurance, what's going to happen when you have to evacuate? You've lost your home and you have to figure out who is your insurance provider because that's the first thing you're going to want to do if you've lost your home is call up your insurance provider. And how are you going to know who your insurance provider is and what your policy number is? You probably might be able to figure it out, but just having that information um, accessible and closed door that you can go out the door with um, is going to help a lot. And you, I know some of us may not be able to read paper copies, but others will be. And we never know what kind of emergency there's going to be to where we might not have electricity. <laughs> we are so glued into our technology, but sometimes that technology might not be there. So we have to think like outside the box and having those paper copies as well as an electronic version um, could save time and stress. Um, Number three is to have a first aid kit. Um, I'm not talking the big first aid kits that you can find at Costco. I don't think all of us need to have a big first aid kit that we can have at Costco. And um, I think many of us, have different needs in a first aid kit. Um, We might need special bandages because we're allergic to certain bandages. Um, We might have a guide dog and a guide dog need can't put a bandaid on a guide dog. doesn't work that way. Um, We might have allergies and need to have allergy pills and an EpiPen. Um, So customizing a very small first aid kit that you can take with you or that you can just have in your home in case of an emergency is gonna be super beneficial um, when you have to evacuate or shelter in place, which a lot of us have had to do, you know, over the time with COVID. Um, Number four is to have your medical information listed on paper on your refrigerator. Um, I think there is a program don't quote me on the name, but a lot of people will talk about the like red envelopes on refrigerators. And from what I've gathered, medical professionals like um, ambulance drivers and EMTs are actually supposed to look for that. Um, I know when my mother was on hospice, she had a red envelope on her refrigerator that had her do not resuscitate order. Um, Doctors will look for this or EMTs will look for this. And of course, again, we can't always rely on the fact that we are glued into our technology and our hospitals have all of that information. Um, So having a copy of your insurance card, a copy of your medications, and a copy of all a brief medical history will save a lot. Because I know from personal experience, If there's an emergency in your home and you have to call 911 for a family member, you could panic. I did. Um, My daughter was very, very young and turned blue on me. I could not talk. The EMTs came in and, and I was in shock because my daughter was turning blue on me. I could not talk. 
Um, but if you had paper on your refrigerator that all you had to do was point to, it would assist them in knowing what the medical conditions are. And what would happen if you were living at home alone and somebody called a, um, you know, saw you on the ground in your home or they called, you know, a um, wellness check on you and the EMTs found you on the ground, they would have no clue anything about you if you were unresponsive. Um, so having those important information available on your refrigerator is super helpful. And like I said, from what I understand, they're actually trained to look for those red envelopes on your refrigerator. Um, and so having that information, but also being able to take it with you. Um, so having multiple copies so that if you had to evacuate home, you had that information on you at all times would save a lot. I mean, I think some of us have medical alert bracelets and, you know, some of us have it on our phones because there's apps that do that. But again, we rely on technology and technology is not always our friend in a disaster. Um, the last thing, which is something I learned through that seminar that I took through work, which was one of the things, if you end up losing your property in a fire or a flood or whatever it might be, there's a step that you're going to have to go through and it's super, super lengthy. And it's to document everything that's in your house. Um, and there's a couple different ways that this can be done. You can do it, take pictures of your house. And that way, if you are working with somebody um, who is cited to help you make this list of what's in your home, they can look through the pictures. Um, you can take a video. And again, this would be for a person who was cited helping you that they would be able to see what was in your home. Another way to do it, um, which is the way I'm currently updating and doing mine, which is um, I ended up starting a document. And on this document, the first thing I did was write down all of the rooms in my house. That includes closets. And then I went through and wrote down all of the furniture that is in that room. And then from there, I kept going and in, say, my dresser, this is what I had in there. And what it's going to do is when you have to come up with this list of what is in your house, because if you don't have it documented on a list, you're not going to get the money back for it, for replacing it. Um, this is just at least one step you've already done and you don't have to think about what was in your house in an emergency. Um, I'm not sure about you, but I'm not sure if I could tell you every single thing that is in the top drawer of my nightstand. Um, I probably couldn't tell you every single thing that's in there. Um, so, um, you know, but this also goes for um, what is on your walls? Do you have paintings? Do you have pictures? Do you have plates? Do you have things like that? The one thing that they always were telling us in that seminar was think about also what you walk on. Do you have area rugs? Um, do you have, you know, special types of mats on your floor? Um, you know, think about just everything around you. So if you're, you know, making a document, um, you can just go through it. And I started my document and then I came back to it and I went, oh, wait, I forgot these items. And then I would add to them. 
I don't think you're ever going to have every single thing on your list, but having a good start is just going to make the process easier because once you have your list, then you have to think of what kind of condition it was in and what is the value. So starting off with a list first is going to be super helpful. And like I said, mine is a running list. I am constantly adding things that I completely forget have because I find it later on. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be a running list. It's going to be a work in progress. And, um, you know, that goes for pictures that goes for videos. Um, you know, they're never going to be 100% perfect and that's okay. Um, the important thing is to just have a start and to be able to know that you're not going to be thinking completely, you know, in a panic mode of what is in my house. And I don't know what's in my house. Um, cause I'm sure we all have things that we don't know are in our house. Um, so, you know, like I said, maybe you start with one room and you do the entire room and then you come back to, you know, you go to a different room. Uh, I think it's all based on what you feel you can do personally and what you might have the assistance to help you with. Um, and again, I come out this from a perspective of it's not all or nothing. You don't have to completely get it done in one day, in one sitting. It's, it's the more you can get done, the more you will be prepared. Uh, and you know, we're all going to have areas that we're stronger in than we're not. Um, and we're all going to have things that are more important to us. Um, in a seminar um, a couple weeks ago with the disaster preparedness group that I'm associated with through work, um, I was spoke, speaking with a lady and she actually asked me if I had to come up with one thing that was the most important thing for somebody to do, what would I say? And I told her, uh, I have done the top five. Um, but again, that is not for everybody. And I can't say what is important for me is it important for you. So for example, I gave her was that when I was younger, um, in my twenties at that point, if I would have said, what is the top thing that I think I should, I should do for me personally, that was having the documents for my medical information. I very complicated medical history at the time. I was on so many medications. I had so many medical that I was talking to and they were taking care of me that if for some reason I had to go to the emergency room, it was, and that was before technology, um, like Epic and stuff. I knew that it was going to be important for me to have a very detailed description of everything I was going through. That included when I took my last IV medication and what side effects I was having and just everything else, because that was important to me. Because if I went into the emergency room, they would have had no clue what was going on with me. So at that point, that was the most important to me. Um, for my mom, before she passed away, if I had to think of one thing that she would have thought of, it would have been the list of all of the items in her home. She was always afraid that she would be left with nothing. And so for her, having a list of all of the stuff in her home that she knew she'd be able to replace later on would give her comfort. And then for me now, what is the most important thing for me now, although I've already completed it, would have been the plan, knowing where we were going, knowing 
what we were going to grab and knowing how we were going to get out of my house. Um, but again, I think everybody is different and it can also be based on your medical needs. Um, so an example of this was that I was preparing a go bag water and, um, I'm looking at it and I'm like, what is going to be important for my daughter? Important for my daughter would be that she has certain foods that she can eat if her blood sugar drops. Um, So not only does she have food that can sustain her like proteins and stuff, but she's going to need something in case her blood sugar drops. Because when she's in a stressful situation, that's what happens Um, for her also having a blanket very accessible to her because that is one thing again, that she needs for her personal needs. I don't need that stuff, but she does. And that is one thing I want to like get across to a lot of people is that disaster preparedness is not the same for everybody. And as we are a community of, um, you know, visually impaired people, um, and we are a community of people who may or may not have a person who lives with us, who drives, Um, We may or may not have a place of business that we can leave a go bag. Um, We have to possibly walk. We have to think of our guide dogs or our families. This cannot be that um, we have to have what a person who has a vehicle, who has the ability to put stuff in their car can have. And um, that is one thing I've learned so much with working through this is that, like I said, it's not one size fits all. And even if I try to explain to people who feel that they, it is one size fits all, um, I try to explain to them, but that does not work. You know, um, they, they don't get it. And I think it's true for a lot of people, but I hope that we as a community can understand and hopefully you understand where I'm coming from that this isn't a, you know, it's not the same for everybody. And just every little step that you can do will make you more prepared than you were yesterday or a week ago. Um, And so baby steps, and that is big focus that I hope people can come across with how I about this and how I am coming across is just that, you know, it's not going to be the same. It might not even be the same for the same people who live in your house. Um, so don't get overwhelmed. Don't panic because you can't carry three days worth of water on your back. Um, don't panic because you can't carry certain things that other people would carry, um, because we are all different and we all have different needs. And that is what is important. So I think that's all that I wanted to talk about specifically. Um, So Andrea, this is Michael. I'm your ACB host today. And if you'd like, I can uh, let people know how to raise their hands and uh, they can bring questions if you want. Yeah, that would be great. I, like I said, I wanted to keep this with some other questions because I know last time we did not have a lot of question and answer time. And so I wanted to make sure that people's questions got answered to the best of my abilities. 
Perfect. So you do have one hand up right now. I'm going to go ahead and give the quick spiel, and then the first person will be Jean Marie. Uh, so first of all, if you are on a Windows computer, in order to raise your hand, it is a toggle, but don't worry about lowering your hand. I'll take care of that for you. You press the Alt and Y key together. If you'd like to mute or unmute yourself, go ahead and press Alt A, and that again is a toggle. If you're on the Mac, you press Option plus Y, and that'll raise your hand. And to mute and unmute yourself press command shift a on a landline your mute and unmute command is star six and your raise hand command is star nine and if you're on a mobile application then you double tap in the center of the screen if you don't see the menu bar across the bottom and on the left hand side is a mute and unmute and on the right hand side is a more button where you can raise and lower your hand so i have uh two hands up right now andrea you have g marie followed by Teresa. Hi, Andrea. Thank you so much. You know, <clears throat> I, <clears throat> I have a little bit of an expensive water bottle made by Seychelle, S-E-Y-C-H-E-L. Um, and it is used by the military in, you know, the desert. <laughs> um, and, you know, wherever they go and you can put your, you know, put, fill this water bottle with muddy water and it will purify the water for up to, I can't remember, 500 times wow. of filling a water bottle. And for me, hydration is crucial and I can't carry three days of water anywhere, but I can carry this water bottle and get access to even dirty water and know that it will be pure when I drink it. So um, it's, it's a little bit expensive. I think they cost $25. Um, but for me, I said to myself, water is it. I, I, I just have to have a water bottle <laughs> and I will put it in my prep bag. And I actually have, I have two of them. So one will be in our car, but, I mean, if I'm going to be by myself, that would be in my thing. But I really appreciate everything you've said about medical documents and stuff. Gosh, oh, I have to have a, a binder. <laughs> and some people do. Some people have a binder. Um, and, you know, others have just documents in like a folder or whatever. And um, like I said, I think yeah. my approach is that it's different for everybody. Right. And our needs are all different. Like you said, you must have water. Like I have your a space big... blanket. I have a space blanket so that I can stay warm. That's a cool bottle though. I'll have to look into that one. Yeah. It's, it's real. I mean, when I found out you could drink muddy water, I'm like, okay. <laughs> can, you yeah, that's the, cool. can you spell that again, please? S E Y. C-H-E-L. The next hand that you have is Teresa. Hello. So what would you suggest in terms of food if we are having to evacuate rather than staying in our home? Well, I think um, I am going to talk. I think my next one is about go bags. Um, but um, because you brought up the question, 
there is a couple things that um, I have personally put in my um, kits. And this again is personal for what like my family needs. Um, I have put in um, like meal replacement bars that have a lot of protein, um, you know, are easy to just grab and go and walk with them. Um, and there are like packets of um, proteins like chicken and tuna that all you're having to do is open them and they're pre-cooked. Um, but like I said, I think it's, I think it's going to be different. And the thing about, and they do have like what they call food. Um, I have never tried it, but they do have what's called superfood, And it's these blocks of some kind of food, high calorie, high protein. I'm not sure. I've never really read them. Um, and they're just bricks of, of food. Um, I don't know what they taste like. I said, never tried them. Um, and they come in like certain, when you buy uh, at least the bag that I have, the go bag that I have that came from a survival bag company, that's what was in them. The thing about um, food that you buy to evacuate your home um, is that if you buy it like from a store, you have to make sure you're watching the dates. So you'll have to replace it regularly um, where like the superfood lasts a long time. Um, but um, with having your own food that from a grocery store, you can actually get what you want to eat. Um, so like I said, if you're, there's different protein sources, different, um, you know, like meal replacement bars that have different needs in them. Uh, I think what you have, you know, needs to be small needs to be compact and it's not going to go bad really fast. Um, like I said, in mine, for example, we do have some meal replacement bars that have like 20 grams of protein in them. Um, we have some like beef jerky and some meat stick kind of things. Um, we have some other like protein bars that aren't full replacement bars. Um, we have some packages of um, cooked chicken that are in these little metal foil bags, um, pre-cooked, you know, all you have to do is, is eat it. Um, like I said, for my daughter who blood sugar drops, we made sure she had items that would raise her blood sugar quickly that she can then eat and then go into eating something with protein and fiber to keep it up. Um, so I think there is, it, it's endless. And, you know, don't think that you have to buy, like, say, fish if you don't like tuna fish. Um, don't buy things that you're not going to eat. Because I think in a stressful situation, we don't want to be in a position where we look at the food we have and go, oh, that is gross and I don't want to eat it. Um, we want to feel like we have food that, we, that will give us joy, that will make us, you know, excited to eat because that's one thing we're going to do. Um, but if the one thing that is why I call them go bags versus people call them 72 hour kits as well is I think if we're having to walk somewhere, I don't think we're going to be walking for three days straight. We're going to be trying to find the closest place to find things. So don't feel like you have to have three days worth of food in your bag. Um, 
you know, so especially if you don't have transportation to go long distances, um, there, there will be something. And, you know, that's what we have to think of is that we're not going to be out for three days living on the land. Um, because for us, that's possibly not going to be feasible. Thank you. And right now you have no other hand. So if anyone wants to raise their hand again, go ahead and raise your hand and we'll get you on the list. Andrea, this is Carrie. Um, and I, I do have a question. You mentioned uh, just a, a comment about a business. So, you know, do people often have bags? Like I just started a full-time job. Um, you know, would it be smart for me to have one at work as well as at home? Um, um, you can, if you have room. Um, in, in the seminar that they talked about is, you know, um, that I attended, they did talk about having go bags, like having a go bag in your car and having a go bag home and having a go bag at work. I think it's whether or not, um, it's going to be feasible and you have the space. Um, for me, um, I don't necessarily have a full go bag at work with me when I'm on site at my job, but my backpack that I carry with me has stuff that would be kind of in a go bag. So in my backpack that I carry with me, I have a very small first aid kit. I have for both my guide dog and I, I have like extra poop bags. I have some extra food. Um, I have water bottles. Um, I don't carry a full go bag with me at work. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I do have also an area that is near my desk where I have, like I said, some additional extra stuff like poop bags and, um, you know, some extra little things for my guide dog. Um, so whether it you can, um, is the mm -hmm. question, is it feasible for you to have a go bag? Do, are you financially able to have a go bag at work? Um, and is, is having a go bag at work? is like that something that you're going to need? Um, are you going to, if you had to evacuate your home, are you going to be able to get to your work to grab your go bag? Um, you know what I mean? So yeah, again, I, I was just thinking if I was at work and then we had to evacuate, that's what, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. And like I said, I think, um, can it mean maybe having like your medical information is not a bad thing to have at work. Um, and things that you might need, um, like I had a small first aid kit, some snacks and stuff. Um, but, um, I think, yeah, whether or not you have one at work, I think is based on your situation and whether that's a feasible thing or not. Um, and if you work in an area where you might have more resources than, you know, you would at home, like for my job, like where I work, um, they are on city water versus where at my home, we're on well. So if we lose power at home, we need water. But if we lose power at work, we don't need water. Um, so I think the needs of what you might have at work could be also different than what you have at home. Does that make sense? Hopefully. Hopefully it does. She is muted, but Ron too has a question. Am I muted? You're unmuted, Rontu. Okay. Um, a couple things that were overlooked is a flashlight. 
a whistle, and also a, a, a couple masks, not for COVID, but for particulate matter. Yeah, and I'll probably go into some of that stuff and talk about like go bags and stuff um, and maybe what should be in certain kits um, for like your first aid kit and stuff. Um, but a flashlight, that is a good one. I did not add a flashlight. We have a bunch, um, but that is a good one. All righty. And the next hand is Pam Coffee. Hello. Um, I I don't know if you may have covered this in another session because I was not aware about this call until this morning. Um, but um, I have a deal with a situation that's a little unusual. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Um, I live in an area that is prone to things like tornadoes. They, you know, there's the well-known tornado alley. This area is sometimes called Dixie Alley, which is a secondary tornado alley. I live in an apartment. I'm in an old, very small complex, and I love it. I, I would not want to move somewhere else. The problem is, if a tornado comes, I do not have a good place to go. And what I mean is, there, I have no basement. Uh, I have no really good place you can even crawl under the stairs. I really don't have a good place to go when a tornado comes and there are no municipal storm shelters close by. So do you have any suggestions? Uh, I've thought about contacting Chamber of Commerce or whatever for my little town, uh, which is a, it's a suburb, uh, about where people can go if a tornado strikes. Um, and the thing is, you got to get there quickly because you don't always have a long time. So uh, do you have any better suggestions besides calling uh, the? Yeah, well, so, I mean, I would encourage you in your situation and everybody's is different. We all deal with disasters uh -huh. wherever we live um, is uh -huh. um, to call up um, your, you might even try calling up your county. Um, there's emergency management. Um, they're supposed to be Got at it. least. Yes. Um, and have, calling up your that. city, mm -hmm. calling up your city and finding out, um, where, because they're going to have to, they already know where that place is probably going to be. I would imagine, mm -hmm. especially if you live, if it's something you guys deal with, um, mm -hmm. you know, they're going to know that this school is going to be, you know, a place or this location is going to be a place. And, um, also like if there is, if there is a tornado warning or tornado watch or whatever the case might be, what other resources do you have as a person with a disability, um, to be able to get places? Um, you know, the other thought I had would be to know who is like your neighbors, and um, 
if you have people that you know, you know, locally who would be able to assist you in getting where you need to go, uh, that you feel comfortable with that say there's a tornado warning and I have to get to the school hypothetically, um, that you have a plan in place of you're going to call your neighbor that's three houses down and they're going to be able to um, so I would kind of look at what's around you and contact, mm-hmm. like I said, your county, your state, your city, um, wherever, whoever you can try to contact fire departments um, and find out what is in place or what um, resources they might have that can help you. Um, and well, especially, you know, as a person who has a disability, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they might have things in place that they don't put out to the general public, um, you know, that might be able to help you. Well, in this, in this area, when we have a widespread round of stormy weather, they will post all the, uh, storm shelters on, um, well, on some of the, uh, news apps and, you know, things that are readily available, uh, and they will post the storm shelters. And I'm I'm here to tell you, there is nothing close to me. Nothing. You gotta go well into parts of well, uh, like I'm in a suburb. You have to go to places that are not safe, not safe parts of town. Um, and that's where the storm shelters are. There is nothing close by. I would I would bring that to the region of, um, you know, like I said, your, uh, your city, Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever it's called in your area. Um, and, and bring that to the attention because, um, people I think who are not in those situations where they have to go somewhere who's where it's not safe or they struggle Mm -hmm. to get places. If they don't have those struggles, they don't, always realize that they're there um and And it's living houses with basements you know some of us don't some of us can't afford that nope no it's very true um so yeah uh, angie i'm going to interrupt your uh great great suggestions for uh pam uh you do have two other hands if you want me to go over those with you real quick i'm sure are you you is that does that help pam yes thanks Mm mm-hmm Perfect. So uh, I see Teresa's hand, but I'm going to go to the caller first since Teresa already asked a question. Uh, and so the caller 505, whose number ends in 638. Yes. Hi, this is, uh, this is Beth from New Mexico. And can you hear me okay? Yeah, we can hear yeah. you, Beth. And I'm in the same situation as... Um, as Pam, basically, I mean, they don't even have a homeless shelter over here. Uh, they, I asked them one time, what do the homeless people do when, uh, when they need shelter? They said, oh, they just go lay down in the desert. And uh, I'm not about to do that. Now, we don't get tornadoes, but we do get those large fires. Not as big as California, but... Um, Fortunately, none of them have been really, really near us. But if they do, um, 
a lot of us don't know what we would do because everybody in these little towns, everybody's under the impression that won't the blind school help you because the blind school is right near here? No, you know, they don't. They're only for kids under 22. And they're like, well, we don't know. Now, the churches have taken up the slack to give a little bit of food and stuff, but um, other than that, I don't know. I don't know where we would. I mean, this is just barren desert, a lot of, except where these little towns are. So what would be your suggestion? Probably the same as Pam. I don't know, you know, like, I don't know your specific situation, um, but I would definitely bring this to the attention of people. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. Um, Like I said, your county, your city, your state, um, call up anybody that you mean. And and you might even, um, you might even call up, everybody's saying, well, wouldn't the blind school help? You know, maybe bring it to the attention of, of them that what would happen, you know what I mean? Um, I know you're not there to help me and that's not what I'm asking, you know, but do they know from an organization, you know, that we're blind, what, what, where would you go and what could you do? Um, like I said, from what I've been learning a lot, this, uh, process of learning more about disaster preparedness from the visually impaired is that People who are not in our situation don't understand. And it's not until you bring it to their attention of how it is very different for us that they think about it because they don't live our lives. They don't know what we struggle with. They don't know, you know, and, um, you know, they assume we live with caregivers who can drive us places. (laughs) And that is not always the case. Um, so bringing it to the attention and asking specific questions and maybe even going into, you know, saying the blind school, I've talked to them, they cannot help me. What, what should I do? I'm um, like I said, but reaching out, finding people in your neighborhood, um, who you, you know, can get to know, um, and be able to be comfortable with. And, um, you know, seeing what, like I said, what resources your neighborhood people have as well, because, um, you know, a lot of them, not all of them, but some of them, you know, might be willing to to help um, in ways that you, you know, don't know. And you have one I'm more comfortable hand up. With about- a lot of the people here in my neighborhood, but um, um, I've heard it. This town is only 35,000, and um, people have told me tales of even sighted starving seniors uh, starving because they don't know where to go um, for for resources, like when COVID first hit and stuff like that, that a lot of the shelves were bare, and I'm like, oh, no. That... This part of the state is very underfunded, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Andrea, you have about three yeah. minutes and one more hand. Okay. So well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so this is Teresa. So my my question is this: So when the Oregon fires happened two years ago, 
I was struggling to get updated information and they got to about 15 miles away from my home. And I was asking out on some of my blind email lists, anybody know of apps? No, but there weren't really any apps to get accurate information. And um, we decided my daughter lives near me and we, and she also does not drive. And we decided, well, if we got to the point of, you know, the, um, the first level of evacuation warning, we would leave at that point because, you know, we don't have a car to hop into. So that's what we decided. But then, like I said, struggling to get accurate, up-to-date information was, was a problem. Do you know of any apps or solutions for that? Um, I, I don't off the top of my head, okay. but um, I do have a connection with a gentleman who worked, he works at making the maps when the fire was happening. He was updating the maps. Um, and I'm wondering if there is um, something in that because I like the maps weren't there. They're not helpful for a person who um, mm -mm. is unable to see them. Mm -mm. Um, and um, and I, I get that. I mean, I've dealt with inaccessible stuff throughout COVID. In fact, you know, early, early in COVID, none of the um, executive orders were even readable with, with any kind of screen readers. Uh, they were pictures and that's what they were. And so I've, I mean, I struggled with that throughout early COVID. Um, I can see if I can out any resources from him as he's, you know, in that situation. Um, and that's what he does. Uh, that, so. that would be helpful. And I like I called Ira to try to get them to look at some of the fire maps. But they, you know, I would get a different person every time they didn't know what they were looking at, they would have to sit there and try to figure out things and look at different, you know, it, it, that didn't work real well. <laughs> and I would definitely say your approach of figuring out what you were going to do ahead of time, mm -hmm. and knowing your situation, and that you were going to, if you got you know, you were in first stage of, you know, being careful and you have to be, of, you know, warning of this and knowing that you were going to have to evacuate, um, that that's when you were going to do it is probably an, a great approach. And just knowing that is kind of part of your plan yeah. of what you're going to do. Uh, but it's great conversations to have um, even before there's an emergency, but in Absolutely. the early stages of an emergency yeah. is having those conversations. When I found out what their, what their idea of getting ready to go was that amount of time, that's, that's part of what prompted me because when they were saying the first level, they're like thinking an hour, <laughs> uh, that's still not a lot of time for me, but you know, better than go right now. Okay. Can't do that very right, well. Right. So, okay. I'm done. I know we're out of time. Thank you, Andrea. This has been really enlightening. And according to what I just looked up, you're, you're scheduled to come back on the 20th at 1 p.m. Pacific time to do disaster preparedness, go bags on a fixed income. So, um, so I got a few announcements to go through here. Um, at this time, we want to thank the whole foundation contributors and members without their financial contributions, these could not be possible. And you can find out how to become a member um, with the information I'll give you in just a few minutes to contact Whole Foundation. 
We do have three more workshops this week. And um, so this evening we have the chat cafe with Teresa and I. So that's that's been awful fun. Tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Pacific, Michael will be back with Marty about um and what is it? Tablets, Androids, and whatever. Tablets and phones <laughs> questions. Yep. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> questions and answers. Awesome. And then on Thursday, we have sight loss and hearing loss group chat. Um, and it's actually usually with Hyel, but Hyel's not available. So Mary Lee Turner, I believe, is supposed to be filling in for that. Um, and we're also in the middle of a, of a raffle. So raffle tickets are on sale until May 31st. And you can contact the park to find out about that. And some of the prizes are $200 cash, a weekend at the beach. That's probably in Oregon. So, you know, all of you people far away can make it have a good reason to come to Oregon. Um, we also have a living with sight loss seminar coming up on the 21st and 22nd of April. From, and it's a virtual one, so it's two hours each day. And this is a, a rehabilitation teacher is actually going to give very practical advice on, you know, now that you have sight loss, how are you dealing with things? Um, daily living skills, communication skills, it'll be a nice wide variety. Um, and that is a virtual event. And we do have financial aid available for that and, and all of the functions that they do that do cost um, because they don't want anybody to not attend because of the financial needs. So um, let's see. And if you register for those two days, yeah, it's $50. And if you register by April 13th, you'll get a nice little cool uh, thing in the mail that'll have goodies to help you along your way. So, you know, things like writing guides or touch dots and things like that. Um, and as mentioned earlier, whole foundation, we do send out post session notes. So if you're not on our email list, so during the session, I wrote down people's names and I submit those to the office and whoever is on that list that we have email addresses for, they send out any notes that Andrea, Andrea, sorry, <laughs> may have, have provided. And we also have a, a monthly newsletter. So to get, and each week we send out a list of the calls that we do because they're not all listed on the ACB community calls. So to get a hold of Whole Foundation, you can call 503-668-6195. Again, 503-668-6195. Or you could send an email to oralwhole at gmail.com. That is O-R-A-L. H-U-L-L at gmail.com. Oral Hull was the wonderful lady that set up the foundation and donated the land to the park. And you can also find us on the web at www.hullparkfortheblind.org. And that's H-U-L-L park, F-O-R, the blind.org. We usually end with a joke and a quote. So my friend likes to make off-colored jokes about natural, disa natural disasters like the Exxon Valdez. He's so crude. Ha, 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 ha. Okay. <laughs> um, and a point to ponder. We cannot stop natural disasters, but we can arm ourselves 
with knowledge. So many lives would not have to be lost if there was disaster preparedness. And Petra Nikova said that. So thank you everybody for joining us today and hope to see you on another call later this week.